Welcome back. I am so excited about today. I have been looking forward to sharing this journey with you of this incredible woman who has literally gone from being in this world of, hey, where do I go from here? How do I make sure that I am providing for my children and still have a life and still and still be making an impact and then tie it all together and start to be literally like the face of a movement that is happening that we all are directly related to. And we're going to go there and we're going to talk about things that are uncomfortable. We're going to talk about things that some of us, you know, I'm raising my hand, have been like, you know, how do I, how do I approach this conversation? Well, we're going to, we're going to be talking to someone who's going to be kindly, she's now turned into a friend (laughs) and she's helping me navigate the waters as well. So this is for all of you out there that are feeling like you want to do more. You want to be a bigger impact in the world as a global, as a like, not just like-minded, but like energy of all of us really coming together as a people, as a one, as a force to be reckoned with as we go into this next year. And so I really am so excited to introduce you to Pat Coleman. She's an accomplished visionary leader who embodies the belief that all women belong at the decision-making table. Her passion lies in elevating the leadership skills of women at all career levels to reach their full potential. With more than 25 years experience serving as an executive and CEO in the nonprofit sector, Pat travels now throughout the country, empowering women with her authenticity and storytelling. We're going to get into her book, Overcoming. I mean, wait till you hear this. This is so darn amazing. I loved it. I read it. And, you know, she has this great humor about her and that she takes massive topics and breaks them down for all of us and makes us feel really comfortable about it. And I think that that's why I connected so much with her. She's an award-winning executive serving on community and national boards She holds a Master of Business Administration from Fontbonne University and a Bachelor of Science from St. Louis University. She is a faith lady. She's a family woman and and her community and aspects of her life integrate in every way. In her free time, she's a proud, she's a grandma called (laughs) Granny and enjoys spending time with her adoring grandchildren. You're listening to The Relaunch Podcast, and I'm your host, Hilary DeCesar, best-selling author, speaker, and transformational coach widely recognized in the worlds of neuropsychology and business launches, which cultivated the one and only 3HQ method, helping midlife women, yep, that's me too, rebuild a life of purpose, possibility, and inspiring business ventures. Each week, We'll be diving into the stories that brought upon the most inspirational relaunches while sharing the methods and the secrets that they learned along the way so that you too can have not just an ordinary relaunch, but 
an extraordinary relaunch. Pat, thank you first and foremost for being here with me today and for agreeing to really, you know, talk about topics that people are struggling with. So, Pat, welcome to the Relaunch Live Show. Good morning, Hillary, and I thank you so much, and I am grateful for this opportunity to have uh, this platform to speak with you this morning. So I am very grateful. Thank you. Well, it's really amazing. And as I was reading your book, Overcoming, and it's living our best life in spite of dot, 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 (laughs) it really, it really brought home that we all have massive relaunches in our life. We all have relaunches that are super impactful. But for, you know, and I I sit here and I say from a white privilege perspective, my relaunches are very different in the sense of, you know, in the sense of what I've gone through and also in the sense of going through my relaunches with the color of the skin that I have. And you, and, and when we were talking before and when we have started to, you know, discuss these things, you, I mentioned, you know, colored women and you said, Hey, I, you know, I'm super proud. I'm a black woman. And I, I sat there and I smiled and I said, you know what? Yeah. It's not that we're, we should be pulling everyone together under one. Yes. We are all women. That is, that is something that we are. But explain, explain to everyone how this whole idea around like, you know, where you are today is not where you were before. And you've gone through a lot of heart-wrenching situations with your boys. Can you share with us the, you know, the most significant relaunch for you that really made you who you are today? Yes. I will tell you, number one, I am a woman of faith. It comes from that. And as you start to mature and as I started to mature in my faith, it was the foundation that was needed to help me to get over any type of uh, obstacles, I would say, that would come facing at me. They came in a vengeance and I was able to be the big girl. When you read the book, that is the nickname that my dad Um, he coined me with that nickname and it carried me on throughout my career until today uh, to say that big girl had to step up each time and look at the situations and show up in which the way I should show up. And so having the faith and being a single parent as a teenager, it was about- Wait, 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 wait. You're you're jumping. You're going so fast here. I want to say you were first uh, the fourth of five children. Yes. And your dad, you know, gives you this label of, you know, big girl. Yes. You're a big girl. And yes. you weren't, you know, the first, the first, the oldest daughter, right? I am the youngest daughter. So this is really interesting, you know, that you're being told by this, you know, wonderful dad, hey, big girl, what do you yes. think his his main reason? For, for nicknaming you that, what was that main reason? Yes, I was told that I sort of had this bossy attitude <laughs> from a very young age. 
And uh, for whatever the reason, he resonated that with big girl, you know, big girl is going to be something is what I was told. And big girl is going to face some things is what I was told. And being the the only sibling to complete all of my education, especially through graduate school, daddy, he really has something. I just still feel as if there was God in the works at that time. And I kept being told big girl, this big girl, that big girl, this, and it would always make me stand proud. Um, and I accepted it. It took me to be an adult in order to circle back to say, what was that really all about? And it all pulled together probably in my twenties. And I realized that is what daddy is talking about. Big girl. So let's go back to your, you're in your teens yes. and you end up getting pregnant and you decide, you know, Hey, I'm having the baby. And this is, this is, I'm a faith woman. Can yes. you share with us what was happening in your life at that point? Where were you? Where were you living? What was going yeah. on? At that point in my life, I was uh, in high school, of course, I knew that I would be a disappointment. So I went through some disappointment even with myself. I would have to say, though, that um, when I gave birth, I saw a family come together with my mother, my father, as if I wasn't this teenager that had given some disappointment. They looked at it as a blessing from God. And so we were accepted from the beginning on. And so I do feel as if I missed some of my high school years you know, getting pregnant. I come from um, a background and an environment where I was never really taught about birth control. Mm -hmm. And so that is it. That is the reason I ended up being a mother of not one, but two mm -hmm. uh, as a teenager. And that was, I, at one point, uh, it took me years to be able to say that out loud to people that I wasn't educated around it and that, yes, I am a single parent and I am, um, you know, a young parent. But I knew yeah, so, that so you really didn't have any help from the fathers. No, no, I did not. I mean, he it took me years to realize, well, I would go I would take that back. Not him, but his family. I did. Mm. Um, because when you look at two teenagers, what what does he know? I mean, he can love the child, but what could he really do as far as the child is concerned? So it took me years to realize that, you know, he didn't know any more better than I knew. And he did the best that he could at the time. Mm. So it was so this this boy. Yes. This father. I said fathers. I should have said father. Mm -hmm. And he ended up. Was he involved at all or did you say because he still went to your school? He still was. Yeah. In the yeah. area. So yes. how, how was that for you? You're sitting here, you're raising these no, two right? boys in your, in your parents' house with your siblings. Yes. yes. With, with, with the older sisters, they had going on. And so it was myself and my younger brother, but I will say that for him, the boy at the time, again, he did the best that he could. We continue to go to school together. We literally graduated from high school together. What actually started to happen, and that's when the turn came in our lives, when I started to continue to move going this way, and he stayed stuck. Mm -hmm. 
And so that is really what separated us. That's what separated me from him, knowing that it was just about the boys. It wasn't about trying to be in a relationship, trying to make sure that the dad was there. And I don't mention it in the book, but when he was 25 years old, their father, he was in a car accident and he passed away. Uh, And so then that was the other thing that we had to deal with in our lives. And so that's why we were so always used to it being the three of us. Um, yes. And yeah. so my, my father and also, although I had my mother and my father that really helped us along, my father passed away um, um, when they were young as well. And so that particular daddy figure sort of left, uh, you know, left the, the household at that time. But it mm. didn't keep me from keeping big girl at the center. It did. It gave me more of a drive than anything to make sure that my boys were going to have the best life that they possibly could have with me being a single parent and my mother helping me along the way. So Pat, you said that, you know, about this drive and you said about their father that he was pretty much staying stuck, but you you had something, you had a spark inside of you. What was that? Because you just, I mean, like you said, you were the first person to go. You went to higher education. You just kept yes. going. And I mean, you, you've, you've literally crushed it. You've done such an amazing job. But what was it that said, hey, I'm not willing to just stay stuck or I'm not willing to just stay where I am. I've got like, I've got a future. Yes. It was being uh, uh, bossy, being bossy at a young age. And so as I started to have my career, it seemed as if every job that I embarked on, I ended up in some kind of leadership role. I remember being an office manager. And so I'm supervising people in their 50s. And it's just that it, it just started early, me having leadership roles. And as that started to happen, I realized that I wanted more. And that is the reason I completed my education uh, all during the evening hours. I worked full time, did education in the evening. And I knew it was going to be the education that would propel me in my career. Incredible. And you had these, you know, two sweet boys that you're also, so you're trying to, you're trying to do it all. You're trying to go to school. You've got them that are, that are young, but they start to, they start to grow into little, you know, little people. And at that point you made a massive decision to take them out of their school system and move them into another school system. Yes. And so can you share a little bit about, you know, that that was a big decision and more specifically, what was the decision? What, what, what were you doing? Oh yeah, the decision was uh, the desegregation program. I decided that the schools that they were in wasn't up to par where I wanted them to be. And so I bust them out uh, to we lived in the city. They went to the county schools. And so I made the decision for them to participate in the desegregation program. And it was all around the fact that I wanted my sons to have the best education ever that they deserve to have to be successful in life as well. Hmm. This is so incredible because I lived in an area of Los Angeles and we were, our school was involved in the desegregation, you know, and, and we had the yes. busing come in and there were kids being bussed out. And it was kind of, for those that really don't understand what this whole program, you know, they would bus 
people from our school out and they'd bus people in and we were trying yes. to, you know, really, um, you know, from, from the root, what, what do you think, let me ask you this, the, the goal and the intention of it. And did you, do you believe it was met? Um, I, I, I would honestly say I understood the goal and the intention at the time. Mm-hmm. It's just that the system itself I don't believe it was prepared for what it should have been prepared for at the time that my sons went and participated in the program. They didn't prepare the the students. They didn't prepare the teachers. They didn't prepare the system to be ready for, you know, these black kids starting to enter mostly white school to desegregate it at the time. I would say that although my sons and I went through hardships, even even them participating in that program, I will say that they received a very solid education. And I do believe that that comes from what they have within them of what I put in them to keep the eye on the mark. We're going to keep the eye on the mark. We're going to get that education because you deserve it just as well as any other child in that school system. Mm, And see, this is where I felt. I thought that it was done in a fashion and great. I mean, I was third, fourth grade. It just seemed like it hadn't been thought out very well. Exactly. And they believe they thought it out well, but you actually had to be a part of the actual program in order to really realize, no, they weren't really prepared for that. Exactly. And so can you share with us some situations that happened that you share in the book? Oh, yes. Uh, one situation was it really started with my oldest son coming home to tell me that he had a teacher that was pushing him. And for me, it took him a, maybe three times before I really paid attention because pushing a teacher, pushing him. And so I was like, well, what do you mean? And he started to explain to me. And one incident was when you have the kids you know, they're in the room and you have the teacher going up and down each aisle way to make sure that they're doing their work. You know, they're just walking down each aisle. And when she would get to him, she would actually push him and his work. He was left handed and his work, you know, his hand will go off the paper or what have you. That was uh, one incident or the incident, whereas when it's time to line up after recess. Right. Then he's getting pushed into line during that incident. And it happened a few times to where he even understood that, hey, something is not right about this. And so he told me about it. Um, I set up a meeting at the school at the time, and it was myself, my son. Uh, He wasn't there. It was myself. It was the principal of the school. And it was, I took my pastor with me. I thought I should have someone with me, a faith and a man. And so I took my pastor went to me. And when okay, we- but before you go into this story, before we go into what happened, we're going to yes. take a quick break. Okay. When we come back, we're going to hear exactly what happened during this meeting. This episode is brought to you by my very own Labor of Love, my most recent book, Relaunch. This book is a collection of my stories, other stories, and is a motivational guide to living a new 3HQ lifestyle, sparking your heart to ignite your life. It's available for purchase via Amazon. Get ready to try on the 3HQ method that I've been using for years throughout my entire life, reaching the next level in all areas, both professionally and personally. Get your copy today 
at www.therelaunchbook.com. Welcome back, everyone. I am here with Pat Coleman. And Pat, this conversation, it just, it, it brings me back to my own childhood of the desegregation, trying to, you know, have kids and people were being bussed out and bussed in and hearing it, which is so impactful for me. And I read it in your book, the, the challenges that you were facing, but before we even go into the meeting that you had, once you went to the school, I want to ask you for you, you had, cause you said at the, at the end of this last, you know, piece, you said they got a great education. So yeah. you did what you knew you needed to do, which was get them into a the best school system that you could yes. possibly get them into. Yes. But that also meant that they were weren't they weren't like all the others, right? Especially at that point. Yes. So what was going through your head when you had, you know, these these phone calls and your kids are being mistreated at the school and not just by other kids? It was being, they were being mistreated because of the color of their skin yes. by the, by the teacher. Yes. It was the price we paid. It was the price that was paid in order for me to stay focused on them getting a better education. I didn't think the better choice was, okay, we're going to stop here. I'm going to take you out of this school system. And then I'm going to put you back into the school system that I know is not working. And for me to know that no matter what, I was just going to make sure that I was present, that they knew that my sons had a support system and just keep it moving. And that's what we did. So you um, got into this meeting and I love yes. that you brought your pastor with you. Yes. Yes. I needed that. Um, I learned from an early age. I don't know if it's just being brought up as a girl or it's becoming a woman. I'm sure some women can actually, um, uh, you know, relate to this. Sometimes we'll even say small things like you're here. You better take a man with you when you go and get that car because they're going to treat a woman differently, mm -hmm. you know. But for me, it was always to have that male support and a male support that I respected at the time. I was young, still not married, single. And so I needed that support. And it was my pastor that I leaned on at the time. And so you're in this meeting, the principal's there, the teacher's there. And what happened? What happened at the meeting was I started to talk and tell what my son had come home to tell me about her uh, uh, pushing him. And before I can finish the, the, the conversation or what I had to say fully, she jumps up from her seat. She leans over towards me. She hits on the table and she says, I will not have that. I am not. That is saying that I'm prejudiced. Well, I didn't say you were prejudiced. I'm just telling the story <laughs> as it was told to me. And so a lot of times yeah, that how you're interpreting it is your own way. That's right. That identifies it. So mm -hmm. you know where this is falling at, mm -hmm. because those words came out of your mouth. They didn't come out of my mouth. A lot of times you can tell the actions um, of people just in general of what they have to say is their uh, defense mechanisms to get you to believe that they're not doing what they're really doing. 
Right. right. And you are being prejudiced. And I didn't even get the opportunity to say that because she went on her own uh, little rant for a minute. And I don't know at that young age what it was about me that 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 had me to take a step back, you know, because I had the fire in me. But I took a step back and figured, well, let's just let her, you know, just let's just let her get this out and let her clown because I'm not going to uh, join in on that because I know the real reason why I'm here. And so, you know, it was some back and forth after a while and the meeting ended. And I know after the meeting, upon investigation, she was put on suspension um, and then next thing I know, she was retiring or leaving the school. And so I felt that through that advocacy that I made uh, a difference in my son's lives because I stood up for them and they could still go to school and get an education. But what was interesting about that, it was the principal, he, he, he started to not started to, but he overcompensated by wanting to come and pick up my children and and to to prove his way, I guess. He took them to lunch uh, and I let it happen a couple of times. But another side of me wanted to say that I believe that he's coming just to see what type of environment these kids are living in or what type of household that they lived in. And he got the opportunity to see that, that it was a very loving, very regular household, although I was a single mother. And then my mother was there. And so he got the opportunity to see that they came from just a regular household. I'm just trying to get a better education for them. And it may not be regular in the sense of having the mother and the father or someone at, at being older or what have you. But as I've gotten older, I, I, I kind of think about that as well. There are more good people in the world than not. <laughs> and there is the possibility that he was just really being a good person and wanted to show me that he was a good person. So, well, you, you brought up something that I do want to ask you about and your boys ended up in college, even having some situation <laughs> where they were mistreated and you, you said it was, you know, it was directly related to the color of their skin, even where, you know, the thugs on campus happened to, you know, that they, <laughs> that the Dean had said, the president had said, oh yeah, he brought thugs and it was actually your other son, cousin, you know, relatives. These are not thugs. These are, you know, family members. And, you know, things have happened in your life and you've seen the misjustices of the, the, the black male. That's right. And then George Floyd's, you know, situation came out and we, uh, you know, saw, this misjustice on TV, you know, the images are are literally seared in our, in our brains and the country really, you know, there was so, there was so much behind it, so much fuel to want to come together for, you know, a, a large majority were like, okay, what can we do? How can we make this, how can we make this never happen again? Never put anybody in that situation. And people, did overcompensate, right? <laughs> Very and, much so. And and by the way, for those listening, this is not our first conversation around this. So I want to really take a step back so people can understand from your perspective that, and I shared mine, I said, you know, at that point, I'm like, hey, what can I do? How can I get involved? And, and 
you know, sometimes I'm like, I felt like I was a fish out of water. I was like, I, am I doing the right thing? Am I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying in my own head to put this all together, but at the same time, I'm learning more about white privilege. I'm feeling less I, I'm empowered by my own, by uh-huh. my own skin color. I'm like, what the hell? Like, you know, getting, getting more and more angry about, about the misjustices that have gone on that we haven't stepped in and helped. And, you know, with, with myself and my family and, you know, where we came from and everything. And I, I really realized it was a wake up call for me. Mm-hmm. And yet when you said overcompensate and, and you used that word last time, I believe too. And I was like, interesting. Cause at some point, what, what were your expectations? Who did it right? Who did it wrong? You know, and from this point, because what I'm seeing is that we get the fuel, the fire comes in us, you know, misjustice and let's all pull together. And then it gradually like just subsides. And it's like, wait a second, how do we keep that fuel? How do we keep going with this? This is not a one and done until the next situation. And so help, help me and help the listeners to understand your views on this and truly where you would like to see society as a whole and and representation around and support for black men, black women yeah. as a whole. I just want us to, well, number one, when I say overcompensate, really I am just talking about um, there's no need to be led by uh, incidents. We need to make how people are being treated become the fabric of just the way we live and the way that we should live. And when it comes to, you'll hear the words, well, how can I be an ally or how can I do this? Not necessarily to be that ally, but in your own time, not to accept things that are not right because of your white privilege, to not overlook things that are happening right in front of your face. Uh, But because it's not happening to you, you're not really speaking up or being the voice when we are not in the room. Help us to get in the room. Help us to sit at the table, uh, to start seek that out. And if it's not intentional, it won't happen. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. And you said a couple of things and I want... This is again, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to help, help myself, help others. When you say, you know, get in the room, sit at the table, um, what exactly, like, where could that go? Where could we have this? Cause you know, I, and I, and I go back to, and, and I think I've shared this with you that, you know, it's been 10 years since Cheryl Sandberg said, lean in, right. Get at the table, get at the table. Well, that didn't work out so well. Right. So I would like to really ask you, what would, what would the right way that would really make an impact that wouldn't mean that, you know, lean in ends up, you know, causing, you know, caused a lot of like, well, wait, I leaned in and it it was the wrong thing. I I should never (laughs) have leaned in, right? Shouldn't have leaned in, didn't want to lean in. So help me understand, you know, from your perspective, what can we do right now, right? As, as people are like, I don't want to say forgetting, but that passion's not there. It's like, come on, everyone, we've got it. We've got to keep this going 
And yeah. so how can we help? How can we serve? How can we become, you know, an, an advocate, not just an ally, yeah. right? We want to really yes. be there, be there with yeah. you at the table, right? We, we love it. We would love it and we receive it. It's just that when I say at the table, I'm not necessarily, when I say at the table, I'm just saying maybe having a voice, mm. making sure that your voice is heard. And so I don't know each person's life or situations in which they are in. I just believe that being intentional and taking the time to really look around, look around you and find those things if they're not already there, which they probably are in some instances for some people to take a step back and look at that and say, hey, and to do things like you're doing right now, have these uh, programs where people get the opportunity to talk and to voice and to uh, put their ideas out there or to help push someone along to come into the fight with us. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is, is that we know how to fight as women. We know not to have the infighting, but for us to come together more in order to accomplish things. There is no difference in that than when it comes to race. And so we know that, okay, how do we become intentional about the people that we have around us, the people that are in our, our circle? How do we educate ourselves? If you can go to Diversity Inc., they, um, they suggest like these 10 books that you can read on things related to around race. I've also had people to say, well, I can get the books and they're just going to sit there because I am not a reader. And that may be true as well. So if you're not going to read the books, don't get the books, but just try to look for all types of situations. They're there, whether you believe it or not, around you to help you to participate, to advocate, and to see how you could continue to make a difference and keep things in the forefront. We have a tendency to, when things are on the rise or they're in the media, uh, we have a tendency to keep them in front of us, but what are we going to do when we take a step back in order to stay active in this fight? My sons dealt with everything that they 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 dealt with all of that throughout their uh, high school, college, or whatever. They're still black men; they can't forget that, and 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 they can't forget it. But for us to make sure that we're staying active in some kind of way by, as they say in the corporate world pull someone else up or educate someone else with you and looking at their next generation and helping them to deal with what needs to be dealt with. There are so many things in this community that we can go and point to, but race is one of those things that we too often don't want to talk about. And I will tell women leaders, uh, especially if you have your own business or you're out there in the work world, you're going to run into it whether you want to believe it or not. And so you have to be bold enough to, uh, you know, put the big girl pants on and be bold enough to push forward and know that you belong in whatever that space is that God has put you in in order to make a difference in this world. Well, and you've done such a great job. I think the reason that I I enjoyed reading your book, even though the topic, even though the stories were heart-wrenching, heart overcoming, living our best life in spite of, you know, dot, 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 all of these stories. And it gave, um, you know, storytelling is so important in yes. our world. And a lot of times 
you say, oh, you know, go do this. And you're not even sure why you're going to do that. Yes. Your book, the fact that you brought together all of these women and they were able to share their stories, share what their lives have been like, it it was a it was a fantastic approach because it was a softer way of saying there's there's problems here that go way back mm-hmm. and it's now and as you just said hey I, there's so much that i you know i could look at this differently now as an adult i'm going back and i'm revisiting this and well maybe he did do it that way and i felt that the book um was not a direct attack on anyone. It was sharing of these really empowering stories that led people to understand and have an emotional, I felt emotionally connected with your story, with the other women's story. And that's, I think, you know, so powerful in where we're going. And so when we come back, I want to ask you, you know, from this point, you mentioned women in leadership and that, you know, we all have to be going there and discussing this and being willing to, to talk about it and make change. And so when we go, but when we come back, I really want to hear your thoughts on how do we actually make that happen? So everyone come back. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by my very own labor of love. My most recent book relaunch. This book is a collection of my stories, other stories, and is a motivational guide to living a new 3HQ lifestyle, sparking your heart to ignite your life. It's available for purchase via Amazon. Get ready to try on the 3HQ method that I've been using for years throughout my entire life, reaching the next level in all areas, both professionally and personally. Get your copy today at www.therelaunchbook.com. Well, we are back. I have Pat Coleman here and we are talking about about things that usually cause us to get uncomfortable because of lack of knowledge or lack of awareness. And I wanted to bring this back again because Giving, given that I now have had a chance to talk to you, given that I read, you know, your book, I want to understand because you are an incredible mother. You did so much and, and it's not just self-sacrifice because it's so much more. It's like you, you put your heart into your boys to make sure that they had the best. But there was a point where you're like, okay, things had happened way too many times that the realization of the life that your sons were having really hit home. And can you share with us at that point, because, you know, your, your dad, you know, you're the big girl, but even like big girls, right. They, they, they reach their, their point where they're like, ah, hold on here. No more. And when did that happen for you? Oh, it just during their college years, I had my first son went away to school and college and he had a fight with his roommate and his roommate friend, which they jumped him really badly because of who he was, like the color of his skin. Who's the roommate? 
This was the roommate and my son fought them. He took his belt and he wrapped it around his hand. He fought them with the belt. So he was kicked out of college because they said that he uh, fought with a weapon. So they kicked him out. He's on the road. We're driving five hours away just to pick him up off the side of the road. My other son uh, gets kicked out because they're talking about the thugs coming on campus. Then we had a situation where a teacher said to my son, stop acting like a crack baby. It was all of those things that bubbled up for me to say, oh, are you kidding me? Are you serious? And I don't even know at the time, who was I talking to? It's like, why is this happening to me, my children, my family, that all I want is the best for them? It just, everything just came to a breaking point. You know, um, I now I realize I'm just, calling out to God, but it's like, who am I talking to? Who's going to listen to me? Because I'm not backing down on this, period. And I know that there will be other things in the future that they will have to deal with that I was going to have to deal with, but I just got at a breaking point. And, um, but it didn't, but I, it, it was a breaking point, but I didn't give up. It's mm. just that I was hurt feeling bad and wondering why these things kept happening to myself and my family. And again, you would think that with all of what we went through, that we wouldn't be thriving, that we wouldn't be happy, you know, but we're against the grain. You know, I'm happy to say that we are happy and we're thriving as a family. Well, and you're making such a massive impact on women and especially women leadership, heart-centered leadership, and it, it it really shows in what you're yes. putting out there and who you're helping and the massive amount of, you know, changes that are starting to, to happen with the people you're working with. Yes. Now, you're, unfortunately, I can't say, hey, I mean, well, I could say everyone you need to be working with, Pat Coleman. Mm -hmm. But right now, if I were to broadcast out to the world, the message that you give to women leaders right now that are trying to make sure that they are looking at diversity, that they are looking at race, that they are, you know, really helping elevate and getting everybody, you know, everybody at the table at this point. What are you, how are you coaching people in that? Oh, yeah. I am intentional about pulling women forward. I'm very intentional about that. And I will say women in general, but black women, if I see something in you, I am going to help you to the fullest of my ability. And I am going to build a relationship with you and you're going to build a relationship with me. I want you to I, I try to make sure that the women that I am trying to mentor or open to whatever I have to say or give back and to give the honesty. I don't want to fake any woman to think that it's always a smooth, you know, it's smooth and that sometimes it's us that are making the mistake. And so I don't want us to get so uh, big headed that we can't take a step back no matter what is coming our way, how negative it is. It's for us to take the time to really look and find out, well, what could I have done to change the situation? Or what could I have done to make it better? Sometimes you come out and realize that it was not really much 
you could do. But maybe there is a little tweak that can happen. And so I don't want us to get so full of ourselves that we always write. I'd always mentor women that that high emotional intelligence, it is second to none. If you can have high emotional intelligence, the, okay, I hang up, I hang up my boots because I know that you will be successful because you've become self-aware and which is the most important thing of, uh, when it comes to that and being willing and open to learning of, uh, of yourself to make yourself better, to move forward. You know, you talk about that emotional intelligence and we often talk about 3HQ, which is that head getting out of your head into your heart to, to yeah. access and tap into that higher self. And you have that such a strong higher self connection to God, but for the women that um, don't have that solid foundation, how are you helping people? Cause we did discuss that, you know, being, being at the top is lonely and yes, that there's a lot, so. you know, that there's a lot going on there. How do you help women that are not, faith-based that are not, you know, they don't have that great connection either with, with God or another form to really understand that there is a higher presence, that there's a higher being out there when the bad happens, when these things like George Floyd, like, you know, it's just crushing. How do you get people in leadership to say like you have, you know, put your big girl pants on and let's, you know, you got to rise up. How do you, how do you get people to do that and not do it in a violent way? Yeah, I don't. Number one, when dealing with people, no matter what their faith or whatever they believe in, you know, I don't throw people away. I I make sure that I just stick with you and I'll stick with you and stick with you because Pat Coleman is not going anywhere. I'm going to be there for you no matter what, no matter how much it hurts or how upset you may get at me. I'll take a step back for a minute, but I'm going to come back because I I obviously see something in you uh, to help you move forward. But when you have situations, you know, I'm from St. Louis. And so, of course, I'll start with the Mike Brown situation in Ferguson, even before George Floyd. It just started this huge revolution of of many people getting together. And then it, it was at that point where we had people in some leadership positions of uh, that was white and what have you that just came forward and just wanted to do whatever it was that they can do to try to move our community together. And so for me, when it comes to talking about Again, but that was an incident, right? A huge one. Then you get George Floyd, another one. It's like you have Mike Brown, it lasts for a while, it dies down. Then you get the, you know, you get Trayvon Moore and Mike Brown. Then you got, um, you know, the Breonna Taylors. Then you have George Floyd, all of that. It's the incidents that people have a tendency to attach themselves to. But again, when I talk about that fabric, make it a fabric of who you are, what you're getting involved in, is that you just stay educated, continue to have your, continue to be educated around you, continue to be open about things. If, uh, if, if, if you don't have that higher calling on your life, Okay, that is fine. But I would say put the right people around you, build your own board of directors. You are the CEO of you. And so you build this tribe around you. It could be two people, just more than one. So you could have different opinions, but people that can really tell you the truth, get you from 
out of yourself, get you from the day to day or the, the, the hustle of this world, you know, getting caught up in the whirlwind, just have those people in your lives that you could take a step back and take the time and have these conversations and just keep them going. You have to have something that you trust in. And it's some people, it's their home life. Maybe it's their husband, maybe it's their sister or their brother. It could be a, a myriad of things. But what I do want to say, no matter if it's the higher car, listen to someone else other than yourself. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, it's interesting. So Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. Yes. And if I were to say, Pat Coleman, I have a dream. How would you finish that? I have a dream that we all are going to be successful in our own right be it if it's through our faith. You know, my dream is to make sure that I'm leaving the legacy to the generation that's behind me, that I'm leaving a legacy of love and kindness. And it's just that much important to me. I can't speak of more words than that. It's just love and kindness. Yes, you can have all the drive in the world. I have those things. But without, but without love and kindness in my life, I am nothing. <laughs> so good. We need to put that like, you know, on a manifesto. <laughs> it's so good. So one of the things that happened uh, recently to me was um, I, I was in, a, in an event and somebody referred to somebody as a, um, you know, oh, okay, let's hear from you because you're, you know, you're a black, a, a black, all right, um, African-American. And the the woman took offense to that and was just, you know, well, wait a second. No, I'm not. I'm not from Africa. And I often think, is it, you know, is it something that we should be, you know, cautiously, like you shouldn't be saying that is calling, you know, a, a woman, a black woman. Is that something that you feel is, you know, how, what are the thoughts around yeah. that? Because I think that after that, I kind of said, well, geez, um, you know, we've, we've been told, we've, we've been said, you know, we have, people have said, hey, you know, this is how we're supposed to refer yeah. to you. But yet you're saying, hey, I'm a black woman and I'm proud of it. So really? help me understand what is what is OK for you and for other black women to say. And then what is OK in your mind to have others refer to you specifically. I'm just going you yeah. right now. I'm not trying to, yes. you know, solve the solve the world and all that, but I would like to understand that. Yeah. I'm okay being re referenced to as a black woman. You could even say African American to me. I'm not sensitive toward those type of things, but I do believe that if you're interviewing or and you're in those open spaces, the best way to say safe on that is to say a woman of color. And then if you just say, you know, you're a woman of color, then that person will identify at what they're going to identify as. You know, yes, I am a black woman. You and I didn't have a specific conversation around it. And I was able to say, hey, I am a black woman. I'm a black woman. I am proud to be a black woman. But that's me and that's who I am. And if someone referenced to me as being African-American, I don't have a problem with that as well. But you may offend some people when you're uh, when you're actually calling it out in that way. So the safest way is to just say a woman of color. Hmm. 
That's and it's it. a woman good. of colored. It's not a colored woman because then it's like taking a piece of crayon and saying that I'm going to color you with what I want to color you with. But it's not a colored. Colored is an old saying back in the days that have a tendency to offend people. But if you say woman of color, they're okay. Oh, that's good. And can we also say a man of color? Yes. Okay. Yes, you could say, you know, if you, you're a man of color, you know, or a person of color, that is okay, you know, uh, but usually it helps for to stay in that safe spaces to not even call certain things out. Or if that's you know, another thing, I mean, really, to, you know, why even why do we even have to refer to that if there is exactly. a panel, you know, or uh, you wouldn't say like, oh, the white woman. Like you would, exactly. like why would, so there's a lot there, but I do appreciate what you're saying there. Yeah. I do have a question. So as you are helping um, women leaders create their businesses, scale their businesses and make sure that diversity is a part of it, right? How do you, how do you begin that journey working with clients that are starting there's you know what they've I've now just read 430 million entrepreneurs out there <laughs> there's a lot of people starting their businesses a lot of people want to start at that ground level they don't want to wait to be starting yeah. to do you know things like that so what do, what do you what do you think about that I would just say just take inventory and be sure of you know where you're starting from. It starts with that mission, but you have to be so locked in to what that is. Just start out first, really trying to figure out, well, what is the mission? What are you trying to do? As you see in my business, I am very, uh, it, it is evident that I will help anyone, but my focus is women. And so I make that, I say, and I spell it out. Uh, and I talk about leaders and rising leaders, but my focus is women. We have to make sure that we know exactly what that focus is. And in the DEI space, we just need to make sure we're looking at diversity, equity, inclusion. And don't forget the B, which is belonging, because oh, you can be included, that. but you may not feel as if you belong. And so just making sure that whoever we're bringing into our mix or into our business, that we learn how to do business just with anyone, but you have to look at whatever their basis is, uh, but, and accept who you are. I know that if I come to the table as a black woman versus if the white woman come to the table or the man come to the table, I know who I'm coming as and who I am. And I just make sure I show up as best as I can and just keep it moving. Mm, so and I'm building my team in that space. I want to make sure that it's, it's diverse. Who am Absolutely. I, you know, you know, Absolutely. On this, the team. this is amazing. How can people find you, get in touch with you and really step into this next part of leadership? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can visit my website, www.patcolemanllc.com. That's P-A-T-C-O-L-E-M-A-N-L-L-C.com. And you can email me at pat at patrcoleman.com. And I will respond to oh, you. That and is you definitely so find me on LinkedIn. And I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you. And you have, you know, given me so many things to really be thinking about in my own business as I continue to scale up relaunch. So thank yes. you so much for being here. It's Thanks been a pleasure. So I look forward to our continued work together. 
And for everyone out there next week, I got to tell you, we're going to be talking about those things because right now it's that time of year where maybe you've had a little bit too much to eat, but what if you didn't have to diet to actually lose weight? What would you say about that? So next week we are going to be hearing from a woman that is actually doing just that. So at this point, everyone live now, love now, relaunch now, definitely lean into reaching out to Pat Coleman. So amazing what she's doing for everybody to bring us to have an inclusive world together. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next week. You've just heard another episode of the Relaunch Podcast. If something shared in this episode resonated with you, please head over to iTunes right now and leave us a five-star review and share this episode with others to inspire them to take the small steps that lead to a life full of purpose and possibility. And remember, you can have immediate access to the show notes and any giveaways at therelaunchco.com backslash podcast. Until next week, now is your time to relaunch your transition into a transformation.